Hello, and welcome to our fall Bible studies at Park City's Presbyterian Church. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you have joined with us to study God's Word together. This semester, we're studying signs and wonders, finding hope in the miracles of Jesus Christ. Hopefully by now in week four, you have found a discussion group to meet with. By design, it's our hope that you wouldn't just watch a video like this, but that you would be studying God's Word together in community. If you do not yet have a discussion group, reach out to us. We'd love to connect you to another group of believers as we study God's Word together. Today we're going to be talking about our fourth miracle, the miracle when Jesus calmed the storm. And so to begin, I want to read from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 23. This is what Matthew has for us today. And when he got into the boat, he, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? This is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ the one through whom you have saved the world. We thank you for his miracles that we are studying together this semester. And it's our prayer today that you would help us not to stop short at the miracles themselves, but that you would help us see Jesus. Help us to see him for who he is and what he has done for us in his death and resurrection And help us anticipate, as we study these miracles, the day when he will come again to make all things new. We pray, God, that you would send your Holy Spirit now, that as we open your word together, we would see more and more the gospel of Jesus. We ask this in his strong and perfect and holy name. Amen. Well, hopefully by now you've gotten some kind of understanding of what a miracle is. So far, we've seen Jesus do some amazing things, turning water into wine at a wedding. We've seen him call the first disciples together with a miraculous catch. We've seen Jesus heal a paralytic. And now we've come to this episode in the Gospel of Matthew where he calmed a storm. But there could be still a lingering question in the back of your mind of what really is a miracle. If we were to define it in simple terms, how would we define a miracle? And of course, attached to that is another question, a question we asked during week one, and it's this. Does God still work miracles today? Well, again, first, the idea of defining a miracle, I think, can be difficult, especially if we're wanting to do it according to the Bible. The Bible gives us so many examples of God's miracles, both in the Old Testament, actually, but especially in the New. In the New Testament, we see these miracles being done 
around the person and work of Jesus. Jesus did these miracles himself, and then his apostles worked miracles to validate the gospel. Now, if you're looking for a resource that really talks about what a miracle is, there are many, and perhaps you've seen some of those resources over these last several weeks. I want to mention just one to you, not because it's perfect, but because the first chapter gives us a great summary of all the different definitions out there of what a miracle is. It's the book called The Wonder-Working God by Jared Wilson. Jared is an old pastor who now is on staff at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He defines a miracle this way. After surveying a variety of different definitions, he gives this simple definition, and I think it's helpful. He says, a miracle is a supernatural act of God that glorifies Jesus. Now, the first part of this definition should seem obvious to us, and perhaps it's a way you've thought about one of God's miracles before, a supernatural act of God. But it's the second part of this definition that I want to focus on today. You see, a miracle is not just a supernatural act of God. A miracle is one that directly glorifies Jesus Christ. You see, we shouldn't just ask what a miracle is. We should also ask the question, what does a miracle do? What's a miracle's point? What's its purpose? And especially when we read about the miracles of Jesus, what is Jesus trying to accomplish by working these miracles? Well, to answer that question, Jared Wilson gives us four things to think about. The first thing he says is the miracles demonstrate the at-handness of the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus preached and proclaimed that the kingdom of God is at hand, and each of his miracles is a picture of this. It demonstrates that the kingdom of God is here and now because Jesus is incarnate. The second thing he says is that the miracles are isolated snapshots of the transformation of the broken world to the way it will someday be. We know that when Jesus returns, he will come to make all things new, But until that day comes, when Jesus was here in his flesh, he was working miracles as a foretaste of when his kingdom would come in its fullness. When all of the broken things that sin has brought into this world will be undone once and for all. When all things will be made new. The third thing he says is that the miracles are acts of revolutionary subversion against the corrupt course of the world and the realm of the evil one. We'll talk more about this next week when we look at Jesus healing a man from demons. We live in a world that is not just physical. It's a world that's spiritual as well. And this spiritual world is all around us. We see in the miracles that Jesus is not only Lord over the physical world, but he's world over principalities and dominions, right? He's, he's the Lord over all things, including the spiritual world, and especially not only sin, but Satan himself. The fourth thing that Jared Wilson says that miracles do, and again, this is what I want us to see today. The miracles point to Jesus Christ. That cannot be said 
enough. You see, the thing that makes the miracles of Jesus unique is that each miracle that he worked was designed to be a sign. The study is called Signs and Wonders. And that's exactly what the miracles of Jesus are. They're signs that point to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so when we ask, does God still work miracles today? Well, on the one hand, in the broadest sense of the word, we can say that God still does miraculous things. But when we're talking about the miracles of Jesus that we read in the Gospels, and we ask, does God still work miracles like that? The answer is no, because he doesn't have to. You see, God has now given us the one whom the signs point to. We'll get more to that in just a few seconds. For now, what I want you to see is that every miracle points to Jesus. And so as we look at this miracle, when Jesus calmed the storm, we need to ask the same question that the disciples asked. What sort of man is this? The first thing that I think this particular miracle does to answer that question is it tells us that Jesus is steadfast. I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 23. Matthew writes, when he got into the boat, that is Jesus, his disciples followed with him. And this would not have been that unusual for Jesus and his disciples to get in a boat. So much of their ministry was done in and around the Sea of Galilee. That's why so many of the things that we read about in the Gospels occur either on the shore or in the boat itself. So here Jesus getting in a boat with his disciples, but here's what is unusual, verse 24. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. I want you to imagine this scene. Here is Jesus and his disciples, many of them accomplished sailors, fishermen. And they're here on this boat and suddenly a giant windstorm comes. A tempest that is threatening to capsize the boat. I wonder if you've ever been in the middle of a storm like that on a sea. I haven't. But I certainly have been in a lot of storms on land. And even one or two where I was actually afraid. You see, there's something deeper here than just the actual tangible storm. Something that I think we need to recognize was we're reading God's Word. That in the Bible, the idea of a storm, and especially a storm at sea, was a picture of the chaos and brokenness of this fallen world. You and I use language like that all the time. We talk about when we face brokenness, when we face sin, when we face circumstances outside of our control that threaten to undo the very fabric of our lives, we so often call them storms, the storms of life. I wonder if you currently are in the midst of a storm, or perhaps you've recently come out of a storm. You see, the thing I think we all have to recognize is that just because we are the people of God, and today, if you call yourself a Christian, just because you've professed faith in Jesus Christ doesn't mean 
that there are not frequent storms in life. There are, because we live in a fallen world. So the truth is, is right now, you're either in the middle of a storm, or you've probably come out of a storm. And I don't know what that storm for you is. It could be a relational storm, experiencing strife and difficulty in the midst of a marriage. Or perhaps it's the kind of relational storm at work, with extended family, or perhaps even those who are closest to you. Maybe it's the storm of work itself that right now so many of us are experiencing during this pandemic, that the things that we were most successful at, for some of us have been taken away completely and losing our jobs. Others of us are working so hard and tirelessly to do the same things without much success. Perhaps it's the storm of so much of the comforts that we've come to know being taken away. Things being stripped from us that we used to rely on that we just don't have anymore. Maybe it's the storm of addiction or the storm of some besetting sin that has entangled your heart and your soul. I don't know what that storm is. What I do know is that every one of us faces storms all the time. Just because we are followers of Jesus does not mean that we're immune to those storms. And we see these disciples, these followers of Jesus in a boat facing a storm unlike anyone they had ever faced. And yet, where was Jesus? Well, the Gospel of Matthew continues, tells us that he was asleep. I wonder, in the midst of a storm, in the midst of some kind of brokenness, sin that you've done to others, sin that others have done to you, in the midst of some kind of chaos or confusion or circumstance that has made you come face to face with the brokenness of our fallen world, in the midst of that, have you ever felt like God was sleeping on the job? Literally, here is Jesus in the midst of a storm, and he's asleep. Have you ever felt that way? God, where are you? What are you doing? How could you let this happen? Have you ever felt like God was sleeping on the job? Here is Jesus, and he's asleep. But what I want you to see today is that he's asleep for a reason that you and I might not immediately recognize. The story is a parallel to a similar story in the Old Testament, a story about one of God's chosen servants to go and to proclaim judgment and the good news of coming back to God. His name wasn't Jesus. His name was Jonah. The book of Jonah tells us about this prophet, a prophet God chose to go to Nineveh, but this prophet didn't want anything to do with God's mission. So he disobeyed God willfully rebelled against him and sailed in the opposite direction. And so God sends a storm. Jonah chapter 1 verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. 
and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Do you see the parallel? God's chosen servant, gone to proclaim his message, and yet here he is asleep in the midst of a storm. Now, why would I read that for us today? And what does it have to do with Jesus in the midst of a storm with his disciples? Well, just as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, there's something greater than Jonah here. Jonah, God's chosen servant, was asleep because he was apathetic. He was asleep because he didn't care. He was asleep because he was disobeying the will of the Father. He was disobeying God. But Jesus is the true and greater Jonah. Jesus was asleep not because he's apathetic. Jesus was asleep in the midst of the storm not because he didn't care. No, Jesus was asleep in the midst of the storm because even when Jesus is sleeping, he is complete control. Jesus was asleep not because of his apathy, not because of his absence. Jesus was asleep because he is steadfast. Jesus is steadfast even in the midst of the storms. He is so steady and so steadfast that he can even be asleep and be in complete control. Author of Hebrews put it this way. Hebrews 6 verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Jesus is the sure and steadfast anchor of our souls, even in the midst of a storm, especially in the midst of a storm. Second thing I want you to see, not only is Jesus steadfast, but Jesus is Savior. And we see this in this particular miracle. Matthew 8, verse 25. The disciples go to Jesus as he's sleeping, and they wake him up. And this is what they say. Save us, Lord. We're perishing. It's a prayer. A call of salvation They're crying out to Jesus, not just as their teacher and their rabbi, but they're calling out to him as Lord, and they're saying, save us. These accomplished sailors are now at the end of themselves. There's nowhere else they can turn. They cannot rely on their own strength or their own expertise or experience. Now they're turning to the only one who can save them. And what I want you to see is they recognize that in this moment. They turn to Jesus and they say, save us. See, as sure as I am that every one of us faces storms, I'm also sure of this, that God uses storms to show us salvation. We see this here. These disciples, these sailors, these fishermen, now brought to the end of themselves in the midst of a storm that they cannot handle on their own, And they turn to Jesus. They cry out, save us. It's at this point that we should begin to wonder 
is the real miracle here that Jesus stopped the storm? Or perhaps the miracle is that Jesus sent it in the first place. See, God uses our storms to show us our great need of salvation. And here these disciples, they're calling out. They're saying, save us, Lord. We're perishing. We need you in the midst of the storm. And so Jesus replies, verse 26, and he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. You see, before he rebuked the wind and the waves, he first rebuked his disciples. He said, O you of little faith. In the Greek, literally, he's calling them little faiths. That's what you are. It's what I am. So often our doubts are exposed by the storms that we face. And these doubts take the form not just of questioning God, but these doubts take the form of helping us realize so often we have more faith in ourself than we do in Jesus. And it's when our faith in ourself, which is the great false gospel of our culture, believe in yourself. It's when we, our faith in ourselves is exposed that we begin to realize that there's only one who can truly rescue us from sin and death. His name is Jesus. And so Jesus says, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? It's similar language that he used back in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, verse 27, he says, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? I wonder today if, even as we study this passage, you're anxious. What are you worried about? Maybe right now you're saying, I don't know that I'm necessarily in a storm, but maybe I could ask it a different way. Are you worried? Are any of you fearful? So often we find ourselves this way because we live in a fallen world. And yet Jesus says, well, what good does worrying do? Can can any amount of anxiety add to a single hour of your life? And he uses this example, the grass and the flowers of the field, verse 30. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? the same word he used before. So often, our faith is placed in the wrong thing. It's not that we don't have it. It's that we're believing in all kinds of things to be our Savior. And it's only when the storms of life come that our eyes are pointed to the only one who can truly rescue us. And it's to him that we must cry out today and every day, Save us, Lord, for we are perishing. The last thing I want us to see is that Jesus is the Son of God. Matthew 8, verse 27, we're told that the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? Matthew 8, verse 27. It's an amazing question if you think about it. 
It's the question that we should ask as we study the miracles of Jesus together. What sort of man is this? Who is this Jesus? Now, to really understand just how profound that question is, we need to understand why the disciples were asking it in the first place. Now, as you see this story unfold, it would be easy to assume the disciples are asking this question because of what they just saw. Jesus, their leader, their teacher, just calmed a storm with a word of his power. Just by speaking with his voice and saying, be still, the winds and the waves stopped. It was a miracle. But again, we can't just stop short at the miracle itself. We have to recognize that this miracle is pointing to something about the work of Jesus. What is this miracle trying to show us? Why is Jesus working this particular miracle? Well, in the back of their minds, the disciples were undoubtedly thinking about the Psalter, the Psalms. As little Jewish boys, they were raised reading the Psalms of the Old Testament. And throughout the Old Testament, we see a picture of God calming the storm, of God even speaking by a word of his power, peace and calm in the midst of the greatest of tempests. We see this in the Psalms, Psalm 29, verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Can you hear it? The echo of Psalm 29 as Jesus is calling out to this great storm on the Sea of Galilee. And he's saying, be still. The mighty voice, not of just a man, but of the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Psalm 65, verse 7 Ask this question, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs? And here is Jesus working a sign, not just calming a storm, but proclaiming that he is the Son of God. My favorite, Psalm 107, verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet. And he brought them in to their desired haven. Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 107. Jesus Christ, not just any man, but the son of the living God the promised Messiah, the one these disciples were waiting for, the one that you and I need today more than ever. Jesus is the Son of God. And so when we study the miracles of Jesus Christ, we must not stop short at the miracle itself, but we must recognize that this is a sign 
that points to something even greater, a sign that points us to Jesus. And so we ask this question along with the disciples today, what sort of man is this? How do we answer that question? This particular miracle is a sign that points to Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That changes everything. There's a great theologian, a Dutch theologian named Hermine Bavink. Bavink is one of those theologians that I wish everyone would read. I know so often as you think about um, the idea of systematic theology, maybe you've heard of Wayne Grudem, and that's a great resource. But if you ever get a chance to read some of the systematic theology that Herman Bavink wrote, it will really stir your soul, not just stimulate your mind. This is from Reform Dogmatics. Bavink says, The coming of Christ is the turning point of the ages. Grouped around his person is a new cycle of miracles. He himself is the absolute miracle descended from above, and yet the true and complete human. In him, in principle, the creation has been restored, again, raised from its fall to its pristine glory. His miracles are the signs of the presence of God, proof of the messianic era, a part of his messianic labor. So as we study together the miracles of Jesus and we ask the question, what is a miracle? The answer is this, the miracles of Jesus are signs, signs and wonders of Jesus, pictures of his person and work designed to point us to the only one who can save our souls. And so today, we ask this question, what sort of man is this? Every miracle causes us to ask this question. But if we take the time, we ask God to help us to see, when we study Christ's miracles together, not only does they cause us to ask that question, but they answer the question as well. What sort of man is this? This man is Jesus he is steadfast. He is Savior. He is the Son of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending us Jesus Christ who worked miracles among his people. We thank you for the gospel writers. Today for the gospel of Matthew recorded this particular miracle. We're thankful for the way that this miracle is a sign that points us to Jesus our Savior, the one who will never leave us and never forsake us, who's steadfast, who is the Son of God. We pray that you would help us today to find salvation in him alone in the midst of every storm. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.